Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. Today we're continuing our focus on the strength of grit by exploring a particularly tricky aspect of determination, fierceness. When we're exercising determination, it can tap into something ancient and wild inside each one of us. Using that source of strength effectively and with sound judgment, rather than being used by it, can be a challenge. To help us walk that fine line, I'm joined today by Dr. Rick Hansen. So to help frame the conversation, what did you mean by the word fierce or by the concept of this fierce feral energy in general? It's a really tricky topic, so I'm mm-hmm. glad we're going to walk through it carefully here. And maybe I'll I'll start with what for me is a kind of origin story sure. about it. Uh, and I talk about this in the book, uh, Resilient as well. Uh, it's that I was about 19, and as background, I was raised to be a really buttoned-down, rational, mm-hmm. good boy. And looking over my shoulder to avoid any kind of criticism from any quarter for doing anything wrong ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward, I'm 19, it's in the spring, and I'm helping lead a group of school-aged children uh, through the upper Yosemite Valley area, the upper Yosemite National Park. And as it happened, uh, we stopped for lunch in a huge jumbled pile of boulders, kind of near a river. And then after lunch, we continued down the trail. A mile or two down the trail, one of the kids realized, Roro, he forgot his jacket. So I said, I would go get it and then rejoin the party later that night when they made their way to their campsite. I dropped my pack, went back for the jacket. I think I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. That's it. No water, no compass, no nothing. Went back to the jumbled pile of boulders where we had lunch, searched around, finally found the jacket, and then... I could not find the trail. Mm. I could not find my way back to the trail. And it suddenly hit me. Here I am, late afternoon, 7,000 feet, Yosemite wilderness, nobody within miles of where I was, and I was stuck, and I had to deal with what was happening. On the heels of that panic came an experience that I've recalled many times, including right now, a certain feral wild intensity came through me that would do anything it took to survive. It wasn't evil. It wasn't malevolent in any way. It was amoral. It was like a hawk who is not angry at the rabbit, but is hungry and is going to stoop down and do what it can to live to see the sunrise. And then fueled by that very unusual experience for me, Mm. uh, that strength and that intensity, I systematically searched around and was able to stay calm instead of panicking in the wilderness and eventually did indeed find the trail. And then indeed, many, many hours later, was able to make my way to our campsite late at night, uh, guided by the light of the campfire, uh, where the people there burst out saying, wow, where were you? What took so long? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So essentially, that experience of fierceness was a thing that allowed you to be more determined. Yes, and therefore more resilient. Okay. And, I've, and I've reflected on that experience and more generally ever since. Mm-hmm. That same quality of a certain fierceness that feels like it just comes up from the depths mm-hmm. or is woven into our ancient background, as you well know, as really tough animals. Uh, hunting and gathering, trying to live day-to-day in the Stone Age, uh, and then you know, try to live day-to-day in really tough conditions uh, over the thousands of years of agriculture and so forth. There's something really 
powerful deep down inside. And then there's another experience I just want to speak to that I was reminded of with my mom, um, actually, uh, your grandmother, toward the very end of her life, she had to deal with a lot of accumulating health issues. Uh, as you get really old and your body starts falling apart, mm-hmm. you're pushed into or exposed to lots of vulnerable, embarrassing sometimes situations. And yeah. uh, I remember her in the last few days of her life having to battle hard to lift her body up off of the uh, bed she was living in in her home to do something, go mm-hmm. to the bathroom, get some food, yeah. sit up straight to change her clothes. And I would just watch my mom, uh, almost 80 years old, just mustering this fierce will mm-hmm. to get up and do the right thing and behave properly around other people. Mm-hmm. And that too is an example for me of this kind of fierce quality that I'm trying to talk about here. When you first started talking about this element of fierceness, you alluded to being a particularly buttoned up kid and how that aspect of your experience felt a little distant from you. You Mm -hmm. had to kind of reach for it. I would imagine that would be a little bit different for somebody who had active access to it. Sure. You know, you can exist on either side of the spectrum. Yeah. So do you think that your description of fierceness here is a little bit informed by that experience? I think that... Imagine a child who's grown up in uh, the ruins of Warsaw mm-hmm. after World War II or some other similar situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, for example, also I understand that in certain cities of the world, there are thousands, perhaps a million or more orphan children who mm-hmm. uh, are growing up in groups of other children, packs, essentially, of other children. So in that environment, or for whatever reason, a person might naturally have more access to uh, the experience of the feral, the, the experience of the wild inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they might have being more used to it. I think I came to value it partly by contrast. And when I talk about uh, the wild or the feral uh, or the or fierceness, I'm trying to use that term really sort of broadly as well, I was just thinking, to include a word like fae, F-E-Y, a kind of ancient word even a quality of abandon. So I can imagine in the examples I gave, they were mainly about dealing with really tough conditions. But I think one way for people to have more feeling for this territory in their psyche includes things like dancing with abandon or playing a sport like tennis where you just hit that topspin really fiercely with joy and delight. Mm -hmm. Or uh, you've heard me use the term predatory zeal. And it's interesting because, for example, in cats, if you stimulate certain little nodes in their brainstem, you can trigger rage. Uh, But if you stimulate a different node, that's what's engaged when that cat is, for example, chasing a mouse. And it's a great distinction. The cat is not angry at the mouse. Yet, on the other hand, the cat is absolutely zealous in its pursuit of the goal. And there's a kind of passion in that. So I'm just trying to draw attention more generally to uh, states of being or, or layers of experience that are really useful mm-hmm. for uh, everyday living to, to, to have a richness of life experience. And they're also really useful when you got to deal with difficult things. So to kind of tell the story of this idea of fierceness, you yourself were maybe a bit too pushed towards the side of being very rational and very careful and so on. And you underwent a a personal process of 
becoming more, um, becoming less repressed in that way, probably for lack of a better way of putting it. I think that you can see in society generally a little bit of a tendency, or maybe a lot of bit of a tendency, depending on who you are, where you're from, to push people in that direction, to push people in the direction of hiding things in the basement of the mind. As we've sort of described in some of the previous podcasts, how the mind can be a bit of a dangerous neighborhood, and you can get into that smelly basement sometimes, and there's stuff in there that's very uncomfortable, so people like to push that away. Are you saying that there's some content inside of the basement of the psyche that is actually very valuable for us to be able to access here? In a certain kind of way, much as to some extent the old saying has it that ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. In other words, that the development of the individual, including the fetus, uh, recapitulates the origins of the species altogether. And in some way, I think my struggle here to articulate this in some ways encapsulates society's struggle to come to grips with the wild while still being civilized. Mm -hmm. So the normal range of the human psyche includes lots and lots of things. So to use the metaphor, it's as if we are each born endowed with a vast estate. That's the entirety of the normal human psyche underlining the word normal. And in the vast estate of the normal human psyche, it includes parts that are very refined, very controlled, even very, very nice, and uh, like sort of beautiful crystal towers that are just beautiful and managed and great, constructed. The vast estate of the psyche also includes swamps and dark forests and brambles and creatures that howl in the night. That's the normal range of the psyche. Mm -hmm. I believe it's true, first, that this is the normal range of the psyche, and it includes all that stuff. Second, some of those things that I was referring to at the very end there, the shadowy forests, the swamps, the creatures that howl in the night, are actually really useful as resources to enliven ordinary living, and to draw upon when the chips are down. I'm also observing, I think it's true, that the socialization processes that uh, develop people, uh, the ways in which in modern civilized cultures uh, people grow up and uh, internalize norms of conduct, including norms having to do with their relationship to their own psyche mm -hmm. and their own interior, and the internalization of norms as to what is acceptable and what is shameful, what is allowed to be expressed and what is supposed to be hidden, if not even denied. As people do that, one of the casualties of that generally good process is that in many cases, people have uh, become exiled from major aspects of uh, the natural estate of the psyche that they're endowed with, and they've lost touch with what could be useful in those swamps, shadowy forests, and creatures that howl in the night. To turn to the other side of the coin here, we've had a lot of conversation uh, interpersonally, just even in the run-up to talking about recording this podcast, right. where I raised some concerns about the material. And the simplest version of the concern is something that you've already alluded to before, 
people are on a spectrum. Yeah. And there's a spectrum of normal behavior. And people have tendencies in whatever direction they have a tendency in. And just as I say for both of us, we have a tendency towards being a bit more thoughtful, a bit more careful, a bit more buttoned up. There are people who have a tendency towards quite the opposite. Yeah. For those people who naturally fall into anger mm. or rage or a fighting instinct or something like that, I have a little bit of a concern that highlighting the value of fierceness can create for those people a lot of problematic pitfalls and become in some ways very justifying, very permitting, you know, I'm just being myself. I'm just releasing my true nature here when that true nature is causing a lot of problems for the people around you. Yep. Um, so I suppose I'm just wondering if you have a response to that or a thought to that, which I think is a pretty natural critique of this concept. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really important. And uh, you can see this question played out in different ways in different societies. Mm. And they strike the balance differently, uh, including related to things like uh, sexual behavior, mm-hmm. uh, use of drugs, or the expression of intense emotions in public. Yeah. Uh, I remember being in Germany uh, when I was about 27. I walked into a laundromat, and suddenly one of the customers was yelling at the guy behind the clean, the counter, and mm-hmm. he started yelling back. And I became kind of alarmed because if that sort of thing happened mm-hmm. in America, at least where I grew up and in cities and in Southern California, pretty soon someone would be pulling out a gun. It was so intense. Sure, yeah. But after they started yelling at each other for a while and Everybody else in the launder in the cleaners was just ignoring it. It didn't mean anything to them. It sort of subsided, and I got, oh wow, that was culturally normative at that time. Mm-hmm. So different cultures have different ways of managing the expression of intensity. Yeah. So I would say first that you're totally right, and it's useful to look inside to to see which way do I tilt, or put a little differently, in which way am I erring? Mm-hmm. That's sad. This topic that you're raising, Forrest, is an example of of a class of topics in which one person says X is good, and then this other person says, yes, but X has some pitfalls. Mm -hmm. That's totally appropriate. Flip it around the other way. I could be arguing here for the importance of Mm self-control and impulse control and self-regulation and all those good values in psychology, and then you could hypothetically say, Mm -hmm. yeah, but what about the pitfall in self-control? People who are overly uptight, they become mm-hmm. obsessive and mm-hmm. compulsive and completely numb inside themselves. Mm-hmm. I go, yeah. So as with anything, uh, the middle way is usually the best way in which we avoid the pitfalls on either side and we, we find that happy medium and that, that middle course and we steer our way. I would like to point out specifically about uh, people who are too aggressive or uh, who harm other people. Very often, if you look closely, it wasn't that they just gave over to their primal nature and expressed it without regard to the impact on other people. Very often, what was really going on was they had a very clever thought in their mind about how they could get what they want in a particular situation, or they were moved by prejudice, or they were moved by... Uh, a desire to hurt another person. And those, for me, are distinct from fierceness itself. Perhaps they might have used fierceness a little bit 
as a means to the end of their clever idea about ripping off another person or exploiting that person or uh, acting out their anger on that other person. And so arguably we should be reasonably concerned, like, okay, maybe less access to fierceness would be good there. But for me, it's not really about reducing the access that's the issue. It's about using the access wisely. That does seem like a reasonable critique of the critique. (laughs) And part of what you're sort of pointing to here, I think, is... You trained me well. (laughs) Yeah, is is our our tendency culturally to put the burden of proof on somebody who's saying, you know, be more fierce, be push the boundary, whatever it might be. And honestly, I think that that's appropriate. Probably, yeah. Yeah, because... First of all, do no harm. First of all, exactly. First, do no harm. And most of the time, if somebody's being a bit too repressed, they're either hurting no one or they're hurting themselves. Yeah. If you're being a bit too unrepressed, you know, you could potentially be hurting a lot of people around you. That is wonderfully clarifying for us. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that that is an important caveat to give Mm -hmm. around this discussion of determination and fierceness in general, where our first goal always needs to be some manifestation of the golden rule, you know, or some manifestation even more so than the golden rule is do unto others as they would like you to do unto them, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I think that we can get a little trapped sometimes in this idea of like, oh, well, I would have wanted it, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's deeply problematic because it removes other people's agency, it leads us into harming others. And I think that that's where a lot of the problems with this idea of fierceness start to get manifested, Mm -hmm. is when we're we're making those mistakes about our assumptions of like what's appropriate in any given moment. Yeah. So I, I just want to kind of offer that as a framing thought here around some of the pitfalls that we can run into while we're trying to tap into that often very useful experience of the fears. Yeah, that's so well said. Uh, if there are two pitfalls, mm-hmm. uh, one is much bigger than the other. Yeah, and exactly. And it's the pitfall of just aggression. Sure, yeah. Uh, just being given over to unregulated impulsiveness. Yeah. And emotionality. Yeah, there's there are issues with that. And I mean, to anyone who has uh, listened to Serial or engaged with any kind of pop crime, whatever, there's the phrase that you've probably heard, which is the idea of a crime of passion, mm-hmm. which is one of the most often used kind of justifications in a courtroom setting for why something was actually, you know, not not premeditated or not so bad. And I mean, if you just think about that for a second, like that's kind of crazy. And I don't pretend to be a legal scholar here, but I'm not sure if it's really that much worse at the end of the day, if it was a crime of passion or not. The the ultimate... The victim is dead either way. Yeah, the victim is harmed either way. So I would just caution around that broader topic area mm-hmm. of passion and fierceness. Now, of course, we can err on the other side. We can become too repressed, too restrained, too withheld. And that can also create a number of problems. And we can use that fierceness, as you were mentioning earlier, in really valuable ways. Yeah. So you don't want to toss the baby out with the bathwater here. Yeah. Maybe it, it might also help if I were to kind of talk this through a smidge. Sure, yeah. In terms of how I've seen people develop in this area. Mm-hmm. I've known a number of people who, when they come in the door of my office as a therapist or Mm -hmm. I'm talking with them in other kinds of settings, uh, you could see fairly quickly 
they're quite buttoned up. They're so well behaved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often they complain about a certain lack of passion, healthy mm-hmm. passion in their life, yeah. as well as a subtle melancholy or depressed mood. Or I can see that in their work life, they feel stagnant or stalled out, and or they, there's some things that they kind of sort of wish they were doing, but they just can't find the pilot light inside themselves mm-hmm. to light the fire that would then mm-hmm. enable them to keep on going. Yeah. Or they're in a relationship or different situations where, wow, uh, it's hard for them to really muster uh, assertiveness to deal appropriately with what they got to deal with. So then I watch this uh, this person, let's say, and this is a variety of people I've seen, uh, become more comfortable with and aware of their own inner fierceness, and they start exploring what it's like to access it. They probably go too far occasionally, but fairly soon they learn the sweet spot mm-hmm. in which they're just tuning into enough of it, but no more. And Mm -hmm. it's not hijacking them in any overwhelming way. And gradually, 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 it's as if they are channeling a certain intensity that they've opened to through very, very, very well-developed channels Mm -hmm. of appropriate social behavior and thought and emotion and regulation. So it's precisely because they come in my door so inhibited and so self-controlled already that in a funny way, they can afford to pop the cork yeah, absolutely. off a few bottles deep mm-hmm. down inside themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so for us, here's something I've been thinking about. When I think about you and you have a fair amount of background in performance, including improvisational performance, mm-hmm. dance, theater, different kinds of things. So I'm kind of curious, what's it like for you, say, when you see something, in a word, fierce? coming from your dance partner, something powerful, something passionate, something primal, what's the process of celebrating that in the other person? You got to ride the wave, but the wave is coming at you and it's a big one. What's that like? I think in some ways that process is a pretty effective metaphor for the broader conversation that we're having here. Because to be frank, a lot of the time, particularly in a setting where you are engaged in some shared pursuit improvisationally, your first goal is good communication because I need to know what you're about to do in order to respond to it, particularly, say, as a dancer. And often the things that we think of as being very fierce or wild or sudden or whatever in my – whatever language we want to use for that – um, are actually very difficult to respond to <laughs> because really because they're not very predictable, because yeah. they're not very um, measured or thought or whatever. Yeah. Now, there are times where you watch someone kind of just take a big swing and they hit it out of the park. Yeah. There are also times when you watch somebody take a big swing and they wind up on their butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've certainly been involved in both sides of that particular yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, and I do think that there's an element of both of those things and that both of them can be valuable. I guess what informs me in this question, if I could, Mm -hmm. is thinking about children. And as you know, I've worked with a lot of children and I've watched children over over the years, even coming back to my office or knowing their families. And in my view, we tend to be over-regulated in modern societies Mm -hmm. with 
very significant individual exceptions. But on, on the whole, we tend, I think, to be overregulated and overly afraid of the primal, the nonverbal, the uncontrolled. And so I think it's important when we encounter another person who's taking a brave step mm -hmm. to be one bit more relaxed about their natural fierceness uh, or, who to, or who is uh, reclaiming one bit more the natural estate of the normal human psyche mm -hmm. that they've withdrawn from over the course of many, many years, decades of development and socialization, how can we be appropriately relaxed with and uh, nimble and supple in our dealings with others when they get a little fierce, mm -hmm. a little wild, a little loose, a little out of the box? Can we find a way in which we don't just immediately slam the lid back down upon them? Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I, I hear what you're saying here, and I'm not sure if I have necessarily a perfect answer for that question, but I do think that there is a tendency, and I think that it comes from where many of our tendencies come from, kind of our, our ancient animal heritage here, where most of the time in a wild setting, that level of intensity was a signal that something really bad was happening, that something somebody was threatened, that there was some danger, whatever it might be. Now, there are probably moments of quite the opposite as well, where it's, you know, joyous release in mm -hmm. one of a variety of ways. But that energy is certainly disruptive to an environment. And I think that the more um the more stable we are in our own course, mm. the more receptive we are to being jostled by that from another person. That's really cool. Yeah. That so. unshakable core thing. I, you know, it's, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, I can say that for myself. Uh, my comfort zone with other people, uh, being out of the box or yeah. unconventional mm -hmm. or fierce or uh, expressing themselves much more sure. uh, powerfully or Largely. in different ways. Yeah, it's a diversity issue as well. My own, just when I look back on my life journey, uh, my own comfort and ease with a much wider range of other people or expression of other people has really been aided as I've developed more and more of this kind of internal core of calm strength. And I'm not so rattled, so I can be at ease with it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, I don't absolutely. feel overwhelmed by it. I also think that if you're the person delivering that moment of fierceness, the odds of other people being receptive to it really do have to do with your general skillfulness as a person. Yeah. Whether it be because you've built a relationship with those people in the room over time and they understand that at the end of the day you're going to take care of them, or you're in a sudden moment with somebody else but because of how you hold yourself, because of how you try to build rapport in other ways, they're not as worried about you. They instinctively trust you. You can be fierce and not escalate the situation. And finding that balance, I think, is a challenge. Mm -hmm. But the first step is just being aware of it. Yeah. Regarding this topic, I think a major source of guidance can be found in the folklore of the different human cultures around the world. Our ancient teaching stories, myths, fairy tales, folk tales, or modern versions of that. And one of the great recurring stories is Taming the Beast. Mm -hmm. 
And then we have all the details about that. And it's really important if we are, as you say, to live together, we must find ways to tame the beast. And what I'm trying to speak to here is the importance of taming the beast instead of killing the beast. Mm -hmm. And to tame the beast, actually, it's important to give the beast room sometimes to run freely, particularly inside your own mind, Mm -hmm. because it's not dangerous there. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you're primarily tuning into this aspect Mm -hmm. of experience, which is where we started, then you're getting the best of both worlds. You're able to get the value of accessing that part of your psyche, the estate of the psyche, and also you're being regulated. You're not um, dumping it out on other people in harmful ways. I think that's a great point to end on. So to do a quick recap of some of the things that we discussed during this episode, we were exploring the general topic area of fierceness, which we called by many different names over the course of this episode. You began by framing the topic with some stories from your own life, times when you were in nature and you really had to access this inner reservoir of strength that felt a little bit more open and wild and untamed than the rest of your kind of maybe slightly more reserved, slightly more buttoned-up persona. And by tapping into that, you were able to draw on additional energy and additional determination in the pursuit of whatever your goal was. We then went into a conversation about balancing that feral nature and natural sacrifices we have to make on our own actions in order to live in a functional society with other people including maybe our slightly excessive tendency to suppress those fierce instincts for the greater good. But in the pursuit of that, sometimes we suppress too much. You then closed with what I thought was a great thought, which is this idea that by letting that inner beast roam free inside of your own mind, Sometimes you can get all of the benefit of that experience without falling into some of the pitfalls that come from expressing that experience more externally. Aggression, violence, exploitation. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So I think that's a great place to close our episode on fierceness. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you took a moment to like it and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. There are a whole bunch of them out there. I think we're on most of them at this point. And we hope that you'll join us again next week when we're going to talk about vitality and close the strength of grit with that discussion. So until then, thanks for listening. 